0: Alright, I'm here with Rachel Mills. Um, Rachel is the former communications director for Ron Paul. She's been active in the liberty movement for a long time, very vocal, very outspoken about a lot of things. And I brought her here to talk specifically about um, her childhood. She had a very interesting upbringing, which actually gives some lessons that I think are very relevant to what's been happening in our country. Um, you know, over the last few months, and um, I'll, just, I'll let her tell her story. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, so if you could just sort of dive
1: in and tell me what, what was so unusual about your childhood. Yeah, so this is kind of my how I became a libertarian story is I, I really became a libertarian when I was 12, but I didn't know that's what it was called until I was in high school, and I heard somebody say the word libertarian for the first time and then describe it in a nutshell what it is. I'm like, oh, there's a name for what I am. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I tell people that I became a libertarian in Haiti as a missionary kid. Um, and I, just to back up, to give some background, um, my uh, father is a retired surgeon. And he's kind of uh, the Indiana Jones of, of surgeons. Um, and he's a hero in his own right. Um, but when he got out of college, he went to the, um, um, Native American, like the, the Indian reservations back then they called them Indian right, reservations. Right. And he, he, he did some work there. And, um, when, when we were growing up, he would do, he would take us to short-term mission trips. Like a we went to Zaire, which is now the Republic of Congo for a month when I was in kindergarten, um, wow. to let a doctor there. Come home for furlough over Christmas, so we spent Christmas in in Africa um, when I was in kindergarten, which was awesome, um, super interesting. Like I'm five years old and I'm meeting people who have never seen a white person before, and they're rubbing my skin to see if it wipes off. Wow, you know, wow. So like, like that's 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 part of my childhood. And then fast forward to when I was in um, sixth grade or going into sixth grade. Uh, my uh, my parents sat the three of us kids down and said, how would you like to um, go be missionaries in Haiti permanently? And all of us were like, wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds like such an adventure. So yeah, we went to a third world country <laughs> um, for when I was in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Uh, in eighth grade, we finally left. Um, but let's see, that would have been uh, eighty. Like eighty-eight to ninety-one, I think. Okay. Um, so, if if you know your history of the Caribbean, that's about the time when they kicked out the Duvaliers. That had just happened, and there was like revolution after revolution after revolution. <laughs> Pretty much the whole time I was there. Wow. And then we mm-hmm. were just getting out when Aristide um, was winning his election and coming into power, and um that that's probably an important part of my story because Aristide's message to this already poor nation was um, we believe in equality and equality means if somebody has more than you, that's not fair. You should take it.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a recipe for a success, right?
1: Yeah. So, that mentality uh, hearing hearing somebody say that from a position of power appealed to a lot of very desperately poor people and um, that brought a lo- brought about a lot of unrest. so when we first got to haiti i mean it's it is the poorest nation in the western hemisphere, um, and they were poor but they were never starving. You know, there were never bodies piled in the streets of people that were starving. Very soon after RSC came to power, there were bodies in the streets from starvation. Wow. And and just
0: to be clear, were you there at that time or you left right before he was actually we, in power?
1: We were sort of on the way out. Okay. Like, it, it was, there was a lot of unrest really the whole time we were there. but. By the time I was in eighth grade, it was, you know, sort of getting pretty critical that it's just not really safe here anymore. And I I would never go back. (laughs) I would love to take my kids there and, you know, expose them to the culture um, and the food. The food's amazing. Um, And you'll never taste anything like it. Um, That was my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) But um, let's see. I'm digressing. <laughs> um so property rights as a 11 year old so i i come to this country as an 11 year old um and there's a stark difference it's a very short flight from Miami to Haiti but there's a very stark difference and even from um Haiti to the Dominican Republic there's a pretty stark cultural difference and um standard of living difference like you can you can fly over the island of Hispaniola in which these these two countries Haiti and the Dominican Republic share and you can see the border.
0: Mm.
1: Like one side is um, more desert and dry and dus- dusty, and the other side is vibrant and green still.
0: Mm. You
1: know, so, so there are stark differences even on an island that shares the same natural resources. Right. There's a difference. And so I'm scratching my head, you know, why is this? Why, why is there such a difference? What makes the United States rich? And what makes Haiti poor? So, long story short, working this out out in my mind, um, what I eventually came to was property rights. Property rights. Were, property were rights you, is everything.
0: Were you talking about this with adults or with other people? As you like, how how did this come to you? How did you? How did you? As a child, how did you come to realize this?
1: I was mostly. T- taking everything in that other adults around me, they were telling me things that were happening. Um, Like, for example, when we got there, there, there were um, factories, there were factories in Port-au-Prince and the surrounding area that made things like baseballs, um, care bears were made in Haiti, Um, rum, very good rum, (laughs) vanilla, you know, there's, uh, there was really good industry and plus it's, it's a good, sort of port city as a, as a way station between, you know, here and there. Um, So yeah, there, there was um, economic vibrance that Haiti has that was growing um, that once RSD's message got through to people and they started destroying factories and attacking the wealthy people, Mm -hmm. there was massive capital flight. So if you think that a sweats- a sweatshop job is terrible and unthinkable, I will tell you this subsistence farming is infinitely worse mm-hmm. because you're at the mercy of the elements. You can never quite produce enough, you know, at a small scale to quite feed your family and then have yeah. enough leftover to sell. Um, so, so that's very difficult. And then, um, Oh, I have to get into voodoo eventually, but oh let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for. the...
0: But yeah, with this the subsistence farming thing. I mean, I, I saw the same thing in China. I was I was there, mm. you know, just as That's um, right. Yeah, they were starting their industrial revolution, and I mm. remember in God, what year would this have been? This would have been probably eighty-seven in mm. um, Guangzhou, and I remember there were trainloads of people you know, with as many belongings as they could, and it was mostly men, um, because they were coming to find work, but they were coming from the hinterlands, they were coming from more rural areas, um, other provinces, I mean, it long, long trips. And they were just, they were coming to the train station and they would just camp out in front of the train station, hoping somebody would come by and say, hey, you know, do you want to work in a factory? Because wow. it yeah. was so much better. And you know, so so to hear people in this country talk about, oh, those poor the poor people working in factories, it's like there's there's no there's no you, you have no, no idea. Right. You, you have, don't realize when, how bad it can be that, that, that job would look good,
1: you know. Yeah, because because that that sweatshop gives those workers a steady paycheck and a roof over their head and stable employment. And so much and, more wealth than what they had before. Yeah, and, and and what Americans don't realize is that in Haiti, like the average wage at the time, anyway, was like a dollar a day. And they when you got there, yeah, got yeah, to, and yeah. and that will blow people's mind. But yeah. if you're making a dollar a day in Haiti with the cost of living there, you can send your kids to school. Mm. Like you, you've got disposable income with the cost of living and the the lifestyle there. Um, and I always say the the best solution to bad conditions at a sweatshop is another sweatshop.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Put another one across the street. Do not do not protest Nike and get them to close down their sweatshop and take those jobs away. No, what you need to do is is lobby for you know. Puma or ASICS to build Open another up, sweatshop get more right across the street and compete for that same workforce. Yeah. And, you know, then the rising tide will float all boats. Which is has. People don't I mean, if, think this way.
0: Yeah. But if you look at, and, and part of it is, I think people just don't have the context. You know, you drop someone, some, you know, university student from America, give them a picture of what working conditions are like in China. And it's like, oh my God, that's terrible. Well, yeah. Compared to your life, that's terrible. Compared to where yeah. they were 10 years ago, it's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And just looking yeah. at the the rise in the standard of living over those over the last few decades, it's incredible. Yeah. No other, I don't think any other, you know, population on the planet has has grown so rapidly in terms of standard of living.
1: Yeah. And is it exploitative? Yeah. It That's is. It's a subjective term. I mean. But like it, it, if, if you want to call it that, like that, that's a mean way to say that, you know, the the Americans, the Western world, the, the capitalists are getting something out of this yeah. too. Yeah. Yes. If you want to put it that way. But like the reality is it's, it's a voluntary exchange that is beneficial for all parties involved. Yeah. And um, when, when property rights back to property rights. Yeah. Let's when, get back to when, you. When yes. When property rights are under attack, then those factories leave. The capital goes away because the owners of those factories that have invested their money, their, their wealth, their resources into that factory, it's not charity for them. And if they are able, and they are the ones that are most able to flee to safety, to somewhere else, they will. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and, it's not just government that can attack property rights. And I, I want to make this clear. There's, there's three main areas, um, venues of attack that come under property rights. There's government, of course, <laughs> that's probably the biggest there's um, cultural and like private attacks. And actually religion can be a, mm-hmm. a source of attack on property rights. And this is where I get into voodoo because for that subsistence farmer, um, and this is just how I remember it. If someone has been to Haiti and they know the whole, you know, they know it better, then that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly open to fact checking, but this is how I remember it from my time there as a kid. Um, we, we, we were aware in the in the voodoo religion and it's it said that haiti is 100% voodoo you know it's like 95% catholic but 100% voodoo right right. <laughs> that that's kind wow. of the, the joke um it's it's so ingrained in the culture yeah. if if something happens to your like y- your son gets sick and he dies then that means you know it could mean ac- according to the the witch doctor in the um village or whatever. It could mean that, um, the, the gods are against you and they demand a sacrifice. You need to burn down your crops Uh to offer a sacrifice to the gods, you know, and you're already, you know, barely scraping by and you're getting this message from your religious center. So like that's, it is possible for religion to, and superstition to be an, an attacker of property rights. And also if, if your culture, um, does not have the values have property rights as a value. If your culture does not value hard work, if it does not value not stealing if, mm-hmm. if, 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 integrity, you know, um, if, if, if stealing is not a bad thing in your culture, like that's a source of unstable property rights as well. Right. So if it makes you, it hard to got, invest
0: in a culture like that.
1: Sure. And if you've got, you know, looting on a regular basis and you don't have any, um, strong form of defense you yeah. can't you can't defend yourself from thieves and burglars yeah. then that's also another reason why you're not going to invest in pros- in making your whole society more prosperous you're going to find somewhere with stable property rights with cultural values that will respect you know your your investment and that's yours i'm not going to take it yeah. you know yeah. and of course the government if they if they're going to tax you out of existence or demand uh bribes or if they're hopelessly corrupt, mm-hmm. um that's a problem. And frankly, I saw all three of those in Haiti. Um
0: so just, just to back up a little bit, when you first got to Haiti, um it because it sounds it sounds like the situation really changed as you were there, like it got worse. Yeah. What was as far as property rights on all of those fronts, what how would you describe property rights when you first got there um in the religious, cultural, and government Areas.
1: Um, well, I mean, there, there was government corruption. That's that was a problem that got worse as maybe <laughs> maybe the sixty um, percent corrupt government officials were replaced by eighty percent corrupt government <laughs> officials, and then by a hundred percent corrupt government officials. So it just it seemed to get progressively worse with each. Phase of the revolution that came through until finally Aristide was the strong man that it just <laughs> it was just horrible. Um, but then, like with with his messaging, the attacks from the private sector were emboldened. You know, and 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 people started to not feel safe. Just like it, it became scary to stop at a stoplight. Mm because you get held up and carjacked
0: and what where where were the police when was there a police force what
1: to what extent could you count
0: on protection
1: now there were police and there was a very strong police force under duvalier they called them the tonto makut which roughly translates to um like the boogeymen you know they (laughs) yeah they they were they were um like a, a secret, strong, very authoritarian police force. And um they were very much feared. So like police already had a very bad reputation. So I'm I am not aware of police ever being of much use in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um what what Haiti had was um a lot of fences with broken bottles mm-hmm. lining the top, you know, bars on windows. Yeah. Um gun ownership and like a lot of, uh, private <laughs> defense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unstable <laughs> Un- unstable and an unsafe feeling. And a lot of, um, missionaries praying a lot all the time to, but I mean, <laughs> that I should also talk about, you know, racism in Haiti and how, you know, it's really the first place that I got to really see white privilege and racism um, I don't know I I'm sort of word vomiting at you at this point I feel I just, like, just keep going I, just go with it just go I just, with it I, I hope this all makes sense to you and it, it, it's not a, a very well organized thought but um, so yeah racism in Haiti Haiti is uh, a majority of it's, it's a black country. Um, but there's like three sort of classes of people in Haiti, or at least there was back then there, there were Haitians, there were, um, French people like French and French Haitians, you know, like the upper class and the mercantile, uh, class in Haiti. And then there were the missionaries, which are kind of in the middle, not, not wealthy, but you know, we're, we're getting by pretty good. Um, oh, do you need to go? I'm just going to pause, for, a, one let's take, let's pause yeah, for one we'll second. Let's pause for one
0: take a break. Mm-hmm. All right. So, sorry for the interruption. Um, the three classes of people.
1: Yeah. So, um, in Port-au-Prince, there is an American school called Kiskeya Christian Academy. There's also, like, a more government school called Union School. But anyway, that's a secular school. But Kiskeya was a Christian school that um, – it, it – Caters a lot to like the missionaries, but it's open to everyone. So we had a, a really good mix of um, the sort of mercantile class and the missionaries, and we all mixed very harmoniously. I think we were like 50% black, 50% white at Casquea. and I just remember like my experience was we didn't see color, like our friends were black, white, whatever, and you'd walk away, and you'd have to think a minute, oh what 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 color are they? Oh. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> like, you'd have to think about it a minute. Like, it was really the, the least racist place that you could imagine. However, um, what, what was kind of shocking to me, um, there was a, a ballet school in Port-au-Prince run by this very elegant French-Haitian lady who, you know, I, I loved her to death. She was, oh, she was amazing. Um, but uh, I, I was able to go to her ballet school which was very rigorous, like she was the kind of, the kind of, um, she was a drill sergeant and she was like shorter than me. Um, but she would, you know, you know, you r- walk her? around the room, beating the, the time with her little baton. And then if you weren't, if your form wasn't right, she'd beat you with it. You know, oh, she was just very regimented and awesome. And, you know, I just, I, I, I loved that kind of structure and discipline. Um, but so when we were doing our bar exercises, Um, I noticed one day I had been going there for a while, but then I noticed she would put the white girls in the front of the bar and going around the room, they got progressively darker. Wow. So the black, black, black girls would be in the back. Wow. And, and this woman who ran the school, Mm -hmm. she was a woman of color. Like if you Mm -hmm. saw her, you would say, you know, she's a black lady right you know wow she's she's a black lady and she put the white girls in the front and the and it was like <laughs> just progressively darker and no. i was like huh, why is that and was did that you, kind
0: it, of thing sort of throughout the, was that just sort of the expectation everybody did things that way
1: i i i mean at at the american christian school things were not that way mm mm-hmm. But at this ballet school, they didn't speak English. She was French-Haitian. Mm-hmm. She spoke French. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is how she ran her school.
0: Wow.
1: So, like, this is just, just a head-scratcher. And know? so as, as
0: far and, as did, did the racism, was, was it, um, when you talk about the three sort of classes of people, were the, were the non-Haitian, were the, the French, I guess, were they primarily the investors and the owners of factories or was there, there, was it sort of mixed race ownership of
1: things? Very, very mixed race. Very mixed race in in that mercantile class. Okay. Yeah. Um, But, but yeah, I, I, I do remember that um, being lighter skinned, like Mm -hmm. you're, you're Haitian, but you're lighter skinned. That was an advantage. Like that was seen as, as like, you're better. Mm-hmm. the lighter your skin the better you are um and of course that was odd to me like i didn't understand that right. but you know that that was my I, I guess we'd call that white privilege now um that was my first exposure to it sort of a awakening um, to and and that being said in in the states <laughs> there is not that type of white privilege there's just not 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 to the extent that i experienced not that it
0: dramatically there. yeah Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah. yeah, And it's, and it's also, I mean, your, your experience was in the sort of late eighties. Um, I also that. So it's been a while. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, but not that long. Um, Mm -hmm. I also feel like it's changed. There's, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, racism in this country and there's racial divide. Um, but it's, it's but you very wouldn't different, see, right? You would not see. It's not. I guess. Yeah, you wouldn't see something that open and that. Um, yeah, you just you Late, wouldn't see that, that blatant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know why it was like that, and, and I mean, it, it it was it was supposed to be, you know, the the best dancers are in the front of the class, and yet right. she puts me there, like, like my first day. <laughs> Right, right. How would she possibly know? Yeah, so it's not it's not really about skill. I mean, it always made me yeah. feel bad because, I mean, obviously there were darker girls that were Better very talented.
0: Years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Of course, her daughter was at the front of the class too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Not really a meritocracy so, there. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I got some um, interesting ideas about race from being in Haiti Mm -hmm. um I mean and I I think healthy ideas about race because I was at that that Christian school where color truly did not matter at least in my experience um truly did not matter the the cliques were you know very mixed the friend groups were you know very mixed Uh, like like nobody talked about it nobody cared Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it just wasn't a thing in my experience
0: yeah yeah That's I, I had not a similar experience but when I was um god how old was I? I was about the same age I was I was well nine between nine and twelve um oh awesome my, my, well my, I didn't go to Haiti no but but you but, were in China Well, not at that age. No. um, My sister and I went to a Catholic school that was in an African-American neighborhood. And so we were were literally the only white atheists in this school. (laughs) Um, In a
1: Catholic school? Yeah. Yeah. But it was like an alternative. I'm sorry? You were a minority on two counts. Yeah,
0: but what was here's what was interesting though. Um, and again, you know, we were we were younger, so I, I feel like you know, of course, you know, there was racism. Of course, there was stuff going on in the adult world that we weren't aware of. But we, I never felt any of the, you know, sort of racial tension that is sort of that's out there now. And yeah, people did talk about it. Like they, they would, they were curious about us. They would ask about why we were different and, but not in a mean way, not in a, not in any kind of antagonistic sure. way. It was very, very friendly. Um, and sure. they would even ask about our, I mean, cause we were open about not, being Christian. And, and they would ask about that. And it was all this curiosity and just like, wow, that's I love really curiosity. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's natural for kids, you know, here's something,
1: yeah. I think for
0: kids, when you see something different, it's like, oh my God, let's find out about that. That's interesting. And let's talk about it. Um, you know, as you get older, you're, you're not able to do that. That becomes rude. <laughs> right.
1: Right. I guess. Yeah. At a I, certain point, you're not I, supposed to do that. Uh, viva la différence! I always thought differences between people were intriguing and fascinating and wonderful. Yeah. Um, now there's something to be exploited for political gain. Yeah. But I mean, I I want to also say something about culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's
1: let, key yeah. Let me to your,
0: to your point here.
1: Let me back up to culture um, and, and talk about my father for a minute. Um, and he's been all over the world. Um, just to give you an idea of like what an adventure junkie he is. Um, he went to Afghanistan on a mission trip oh, Wow! to work in a, um, it, it was a, um, hospital supported by, um, Franklin Graham Samaritan's purse. um, <laughs> in like uh 2002 like right after 9 oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah so like okay I got great I got great years that started right about then yeah um yeah so he, he he's been all over he's been to Guatemala a couple mm-hmm. of times um I think Ecuador um and he went to Papua New Guinea Oh wow! I think a couple of times, like like um, Franklin Graham's organization would just call him when they needed somebody to fill in. Um, but I I want to talk about Papua New Guinea because eventually he he started refusing to go to Papua New Guinea because when you think about a missionary doctor providing medical care for free to people that don't otherwise have it, you think about like tropical diseases and like he would see things like. Um, he he once did uh, a uterine, a, a, a ovarian cyst that was 24 liters of fluid. She was this big. Oh. They thought she was, they thought she was pregnant. And then after two years, you know, they realized no. Yeah. Oh my and god. And then and then there was another one like um, a calcified baby. Like this woman had been pregnant. It was an ectopic pregnancy mm-hmm. that um, the baby the the baby died after like eight months, and oh, she geez. didn't give birth and didn't. Her, eventually, her body calcified it, mm-hmm. um, and he removed it. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, and and it's like this stone baby. You can see its face and its features oh. and everything. Like, I mean, tropical medicine, like third world medicine, where they don't have access to healthcare. I mean, there, there's it's, it boggles the mind what yeah. what you see. So I, I think that's what kind of draws him is like these people really, really need him. Yeah. So Papua New Guinea, he stopped going to Papua New Guinea because um, he got tired of doing chop chops. What's a chop chop? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to hear. I
0: know I don't want to hear, but go on.
1: Well, it's, it, it's a domestic violence involve, case involving a machete. And oh, typically they would handle a lot of um, arguments this way. like a, a lot of it was jealous wives going after each other with machetes. Oh my God. And you know and that's what he's there to do. He's there yeah. to put back together women who have been doing who have been chopped chopped. you know. Yes. And you know then that same woman will go on and do it again. Do that to somebody else. Oh. So like <laughs> he just he got frustrated with the idea that the, the, this is this is culturally how they solve disagreements and then he's yeah. there to pick up the pieces in this way like that's horrible like he <laughs> eventually he's like no yeah <laughs> oh my god I'm, that's I'm just horrific say, i you know yeah. like and and that to me like when he told me that story this is when i was an adult and he was off free to go on as many mission trips as he wanted to But like they, they explained that situation to me and I'm like, like what a horrible waste of my father's time and resources because your culture Mm -hmm. solves disagreements that way. So let me just stop you right there.
0: Let me stop you right there because it sounds like, it sounds like you're passing judgment on another culture.
1: I am. Oh my God. It's yeah yeah so are, are you actually I, saying I that there
0: are that there are that there are better and worse ways of of resolving conflicts better and worse I, ways of being organized and of I, um, yeah, organizing sucks.
1: society yeah and Ugh. and there's actually cultures out there like as americans we get this message that cultural differences are beautiful and all cultures are equal and you know La di da di um, da, and and that can be true to some extent. Yeah. But you know, and, and Ron Paul has said this many times. Um, there are cultures that we do not understand, like the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these Muslim cultures, we do not understand them. It is not our place to solve their problems for them or to apply our solutions onto a culture that seems irrational to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he said that, I'm like, amen, because yeah, I mean, if, if, if that's how your culture sanctions, sanctions solving a problem, um, you know, I, 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 I gotta say, I, I don't think that's a good cultural value and not that I want to violently change it or anything, or, you know, uh, apply my solution, but you know, as, as far as my father spending his time going over there and putting you back together when really the solution needs to come with it, from within. Right. Like, right. You it, guys it, need to not, figure out
0: a better way to solve your disputes. Yeah,
1: it, is, it is not up to a white American doctor to solve that yeah. issue for you. It needs to be the voices coming from that culture saying, we need to figure out a better way. But, so. what is,
0: but what does this have to do with us? I mean, you know, we're, we're, we've we're got this great culture where we have courts and we have civilized ways of resolving disputes. Why mm-hmm. should we worry about, you know, places, uh, you know, why should we worry about the fact that it's not that way everywhere?
1: Um, we probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, there, <laughs> <laughs> Former missionary kid saying, yeah. we should probably mind our own business. Like, that should be our default. And um, I want to I talk about Poverty, Inc. really quick. I want to yeah. be sure that I don't, yeah. don't miss my opportunity to, to, um, to promote that film. But if you've ever heard about a documentary called Poverty, Inc., I um, it, it. yeah, please link to it. It's amazing. And Haiti is discussed a lot, and it's a lot about um, uh, the poverty industrial complex. Which I know Mm. a little bit about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm
0: sure, I'm sure if you were aware. Um,
1: Yeah, and I'm going to talk about um, mission trip groups here in a minute. But um, yeah, Poverty Inc. is an amazing documentary that goes over the horrible, horrible damage we do as um, Western, you know, industrial countries trying to solve the problems through charity of Mm -hmm. other cultures and countries that we don't really grasp um it's it's an amazing documentary highly 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 recommend it i saw it at freedom fest um Mm. a few a few years back and i just cried the whole time because i'm like oh yes exactly yes like, so, so how people should not be solving these problems. They need to come from within the culture.
0: But if you, but, but let's say you know, you're you someone who, who is compassionate and looks at the extreme poverty um, in, in, in the third world, in parts of the world, and you say, God, I really want to do something. Isn't yeah. there anything we can do?
1: Yes. What is it? There is. Okay. I'm so glad you asked that question. I love that question. Um, let me tell you what not to do. Do not go on a church mission trip. (laughs) Okay. That's a pet peeve. That was a pet peeve while I was in Haiti. Before I had fleshed all this out in my mind, um, I'm like, we're there permanently. Like, we are established. Nobody has to babysit us. And then these mission groups come in, and they take up resources and time from the missionaries that are there on the ground. Mm. And, um, of course, Haiti is poor. Why? We have chronic unemployment. And these strong, strapping high school boys from, you know, Newark come in. Mm-hmm. And what, is, what are they there to provide? Free labor. Ah. <sighs> Stop it. Stop it. Stop right. it. It's like, no, 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 no. You're there. Like They, they come to, like, paint a school or dig a well or, right. dig a or, you know, they're coming there to provide free labor to a place with chronic unemployment. Jump. Awesome.
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: Okay, everybody knows. Everybody knows, and you know they'll they'll say it kind of. You know, this is for the good of the American entitled brats. Mm. Everybody knows this, and they and they go and they sing songs and they they campfire and they see how the people live. It makes them so sad, and they come back better people. It's true. They, you Mm. know, they've sweated. They felt like they've helped. They've handed out a few tracks. Um, from from people who are already ninety five percent Catholic, remember I said that like they know about right. Jesus. They've heard, <laughs> they have heard. Um, <laughs> so here's what you do instead: mm. go to Haiti, and stay at a nice hotel, mm. and tip the busboy really well, and buy lots of drinks, and go out to restaurants. That's what you do. Tourism. Tourism mm-hmm. is such an important industry to so many of these places. And there's so many beautiful things about the culture that are not horrible like chop chops. Like the, the, the art is beautiful. Like, you know, there's handcrafts and amazing things and the food is incredible and you'll never taste anything like it. So yeah, if, if you feel safe, I wouldn't do it right now.
0: Right. Um, well, but, that was my question. Is there is there much of a tourist industry in Haiti?
1: Um there, point. there used to be, but it's just, it's so unsafe again, because yeah. property rights are not, it's not respected and you know, it, it's, it's not a place where you'd want to drive around and stop at a stoplight. Right. Right. And healthcare is not great. Um, but go to the Dominican Republic right across, right across the way. You'll meet mm-hmm. plenty of Haitian people. Um, you know, yeah, go, go to a resort. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. if 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 you have a heart for a country and you want to help don't be a missionary unless you have a highly skilled unless you have like a a highly trained skill
0: something they don't have there
1: yeah like like surgeon right right not heavy not heavy labor (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah but like like brute labor like they got that they don't, don't go taking their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Go take their gerbs. Um, (laughs) But like, that's what you can do.
0: Just really quickly. I am going to mention, I'm going to link to this, but the film, the documentary Poverty, Poverty Inc. When you talk about the poverty industrial complex, um, what is, because we're getting, we're getting close to the end here, but if you could just quickly, what is that? What is the poverty industrial complex and why is it? Well,
1: Yeah, after the earthquake in Haiti, all of the NGOs swarmed upon Haiti and they tried to help. And I'll talk about the Red Cross and um, um, Washington First World Solutions coming in and trying to solve third world problems. So here's an example. Um, Of of course, everybody showered money onto the um, NGOs. NGOs after the Haiti earthquake. I mean it was terrible. Like hundreds of thousands of people were killed in horrible ways. Um and everybody wanted to help. So I, and this was well publicized. The the Red Cross got like 6 billion dollars wow. to build housing because like all of the housing collapsed in Port-au-Prince. Yeah. Like it was massive. It was horrible. Um and they were able to build like six houses. Six billion dollars or whatever. Six six houses got built, you know. And everybody was like, you know, the Red Cross is so corrupt. They're so corrupt. Well, I mean, you know, maybe yes. However, here's the thing: the Red Cross has Washington-type policies, American business-type policies that make perfect sense to us, but they don't really translate to a third-world country like Haiti. Give you, give you an example. So. For for an NGO like the Red Cross to to build a house, first they have got to um, acquire land and get a valid deed. You know, they've they've got to have deeded rights, property rights to the land. That shouldn't be a problem. They just mm-hmm. find somebody. You own this. Pay the money. Construction begins. They don't have a functioning deed of register, like mm-hmm. register of deeds, register of deeds. in in Haiti. Like, that that kind of doesn't exist. So how do you obtain the type of property rights to the land to build on when you don't have a register of deeds that you can go, like, record a deed? Right. So that was the problem. Like, there's a disconnect with, you know, white people trying to solve black people's problems. Really, um, the, the solutions need to come from Haitians. However, <laughs> when the government is already so corrupt, it's also not a good thing to shower corrupt politicians with a bunch of money. Right. Like that that's also problematic. Right. Um, so like it's 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 very complicated. It's it's not as easy as just dumping money on a society. Or throwing money at a problem it's it's very nuanced and it's very it's very complicated and it involves understanding the differences on the ground in a country yeah. from what you're yeah. used to
0: yeah well and a lot of people who are criti- critical of aid to Africa make the point that you know the more you shower countries you know that, that are often ruled by you know these dictators and really don't have solid um, either property rights or really a civil infrastructure the more you shower money into those systems, the more you're propping up that system and preventing any kind of change. It's like you're subsidizing these dictatorships.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it is assuaging white guilt over the Farm Bill, which the the Farm Bill is one of the great evils of this country that um, it it subsidizes our farmers and it locks out the African breadbasket. You know, like Africa should be producing... Massive amounts of food and stuff. I mean, they've got incredible natural resources in Africa, and they're basically locked out of the world market. Why? I mean, it's tragic because Um, of our politicians. Yeah, and a lot of it is because of the farm bill, and then um, we throw money at their dictators and prop up their dictators to make to make ourselves feel better, or to maybe um, uh, uh, perpetuate the system. So, like, when when you talk about systemic racism. Um, that's what I think about. Yeah. I think about those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And those are real things.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're definitely systemic. They're absolutely systemic. Um, yeah. really quick. Cause we've got, we do have to wrap up. Um, okay. Th- I want to take this in a totally different direction. Um, you talked yeah. about, um, you're going to be running for office. Yes. What finally. is that all about?
1: Finally, I am going to be running for office. I am running for uh, my county here in in North Carolina. I live in Raleigh, but I am in Wake County, and I'm going to be running for our county level school board. Um, and I'm going to be filing on Monday, um, and I'm excited because like it's it's about time. Like the the school board here is very liberal and very crazy, and it's only being. Uh, <laughs> emboldened mm-hmm. like they, they 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 vote it's a nine it's a nine person board and they vote nine to zero all the time wow so um and i i, I think i have assembled a five person slate at least i think i have five wow so that means we could have a majority possibly but anyway wow. well this um, will be interesting we, yeah we're at least gonna put uh choices in front of voters um, I, I, I truly think, I truly think there's, I, I know you're not necess- you're not a Republican, but I think that a red wave is coming and I think it's a good counter balance to like the crazy leftism that we've been having. Like that's, that's me. I mean, honestly, um, up and up
0: until this year, I have been saying, you know, there's absolutely, there's no difference between the two. And I, I still I still say that to some extent, in that they both they both support the system, they both support the fundamental things that I think are the problem. Mm. But oh my god,
1: this oh my past god. year,
0: oh my god, there's there's a there is a left there is a Republican Democrat divide in terms of health freedom, in terms of the lockdowns. I mean,
1: there's you can't miss it. There you is can't a difference. Miss it. So yeah, I mean, there, I I was with you. There didn't used to be much like a dime's worth of difference, but. I'm glad to hear you say that because, like, I definitely
0: there is right now, and I and I don't feel gone I, to the I right. still, I and I and I get it. I and I've seen a lot of people who a lot of former Democrats who are now you know just completely disillusioned, turned off, and, and voting Republican. I still don't say, yeah, that's the answer. That's gonna that's gonna fix everything because it's not. But you'd have to be blind to not see the. You'd have to be blind to not see that the republican party yeah. has some some interest in protecting freedom whereas yeah the democrats it, it's, are it's, completely it's, it's, steamrolling over it
1: it's like the democrats are anti-economy and the republicans are pro-economy
0: so and, and anti-anti-individual freedom and i mean yeah. complete status complete 100 percent status it's just it's never i yeah i've never seen this kind of distinction what, in front of me
1: before what almost worries me is and I know what the polls say and you know of course they were right in 2016 and it'd be silly to like disregard them that's a joke um <laughs> <laughs> but media I I almost fear that the red wave is going to be so overwhelming that we're going to have Republicans only in power, like too much, <laughs> like they're yeah, going to get I mean, too much power and right. that, that's also not a good thing. Right. So, um, but I mean, it might be better cause it, it seems like right now, uh, Democrats have way too much power. Um,
0: yeah, I, so mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see what happens. I feel like if that you're, I think you're absolutely right to worry about that because I think we'll see, we'll see a change in how favorable they seem to Liberty and to sound economic policy if that happens.
1: Yeah. I, I just think the left is really shooting itself in the foot. Um, you know, and, and not that I'm not rooting for the Republican Party, like 100%, because I am at this point. Um, but, I, I mean, the, the left has just gone off the deep end. It's just bonkers. It really has. It really has.
0: Um, yeah. Horrible. I mean, I, I don't know... I don't even know what to say about that. It's, it's, it's so absurd at this point. It's completely just
1: bankrupt. Yeah. They, they used to have really good points on some issues, but Mm -hmm. now it like the drug war is going the right way. It is, you know, the, the, the drug war is kind of slowly being taken off the table. Yeah. Thank God. Um, and there's been good progress on things like asset forfeiture, you know, and those, Mm -hmm. those things are going the right direction. So it, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the left has nothing more to offer us, especially if Donald Trump is saying things like the era of endless, pointless wars is coming to an end and right. firing John Bolton. Like, it's and they argue hard. with that. <laughs> yeah. You it's know? hard not to cheer for that. Um, yeah. And Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Well, we should wrap up here. I'm gonna have to have you back on again. I am cool. really I'm really interested to hear what happens with your I realize you're just getting started, but the whole school board thing. Um, it'll be really interesting to see of course you're gonna get in. Um it'll be really <laughs> interesting to see how much how much you can actually I accomplish. I mean, that that'll yeah, be a really it, fun story.
1: It'll be interesting. I mean, it's it's a, it's a very local office. Um, I have to get about 18,000 votes. That's it. So I think it's a very winnable race. I have a lot of um, groups behind me. I have a lot of support. Um, so I'm excited that, like, this is within range. Mm-hmm. It's By far, it's not a shoe-in at all. Like, I've got a big fight ahead of me. But it's worth fighting. Ooh. I'm not just a paper candidate in this situation. So that's exciting. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, we got into a charter school. So like, I'm a voice for choice, a voice for choice. Um, and also we very well might be homeschooling. Um, the, a lot our of other people might. Yeah. so, so a, a homeschooling mom on the school board.
0: Yeah. That's that'll interesting. be interesting. That'll yeah. be very interesting. We'll, we'll have to have you um, come back and talk about that. Thank cool. you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know we've been, we've been meaning to do this forever. For for so long, forever. I finally, I finally pinned you down. So yay. (laughs) And I will, and I will do it again. Thank you. Awesome. Would love to.